Good morning. If you'll turn to the book of Philippians, I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, uh, the scripture passage for this morning as we continue in this series on the book of Philippians. So Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, reading through verse 18, and it reads this way, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's uh, open this morning with a word of prayer. Father, we come this morning as we do many mornings and we come because we have faith, we hold out faith, we desire more faith um, in the message that you have sent through your son Jesus, in the salvation, the grace, the love extended through Jesus, and that we would somehow be able to anchor in there, find our footing, find our fortress, find our security, and come to know the kind of life you intended for us to have, that our joy would be made complete, uh, that our sense of self would be found in you, and that we would have all that we need to be able to love, to nurture, to encourage each other, and grow together. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I've been gone for a couple weeks, and I just kind of want to share to you a little bit of my journey and kind of how that runs into maybe the passage this morning. But uh, it's been an interesting season for me. We started something called the Justice Conference years ago, and it's, it's fascinating because we just returned from the Justice Conference in Hong Kong, and in Hong Kong, the Justice Conference is put on by a church called the Vine Center. So it's an evangelical church. I think there's something like 46 different languages that are spoken in their church. Most of them uh, also have English either as their primary or their secondary language in this particular church. Um, so this church is, is about as international a church as you could get. It's about 2,000 people, but there are kind of people, um, wonderful human beings, and they kind of are the ones that put this conference on. This conference, which sold out at 700 people, had uh, people that had flown in, men and women that had flown in from 24 different countries, uh, as far as France, Madagascar, most of Asia, uh, and kind of on. So... We were at this conference, Melissa McCreary uh, with Kilns College, Pete Kelly and myself, and so this church putting on this conference that really was pulling from all these different places, and what was so crazy for me was it, it's a picture of what the Justice Conference was when it began here in Bend. Um, when the Justice Conference began here in Bend, it was a, a thing that this community did. We served, we worked at the parking, we helped with food and snacks or security, we helped pick people up from the airport, we gave rides to speakers, 
this, this church community basically adopted and, and put on this event, which, which blew everyone's expectations. A thousand people in Bend uh, was crazy back then. 800 people flying in from outside of Bend. There were stories of airplanes. You know the little airplanes that fly into Bend. Not the private Les Schwab ones, but the, the little commuter ones, right? Um, that was an inside joke. And I just, I'm still jet lagged. You're not supposed to do inside jokes when you're preaching to a group of people. But anyways, um, maybe you are. Uh, so, you know, you have the little 40-seaters or 30-seaters or whatever those planes are that kind of fly in here. And there was stories of like literally the whole plane being people coming in for the Justice Conference. This is in 2011, February of 2011. And that, you know, kind of one person starts talking to another person. They're like, no way. And, and then they all start talking. And it's not that like everyone came from New York on the same plane. It's that everyone came from a whole bunch of different places, landed in Portland probably. And then they all like were on the same plane coming over. And so there's, it was this crazy, organic, beautiful thing. And then we popped over to Portland just because, uh, really, because of the airport situation and to make it more accessible for people that were coming from Ireland or Africa or whatnot. And so we moved over to Portland, and still there were so many people from Antioch that, that drove over and kind of were a part of this thing. And then when we went to Philadelphia, the partner organization that we'd always been working with, World Relief, is from the East Coast, and it was a strong desire for them to be able to have a presence there. Uh, a lot of people flew over. A whole lot of people. And I remember being on this Alaska flight, Kip would remember. Um, so coming back from Philadelphia, and we have literally the belly of this plane is all Antioch people. And I'm exhausted and tired, but it's, it's kind of fun and we're celebrating. And I'm, I remember sitting there in an aisle seat and there was this really fun stewardess, uh, I'm a flight attendant, <laughs> still jet lagged, uh, and, and we were joking and bantering, and I thought it was really fun. I've got a dry sense of humor, and, and that was happening. And then all of a sudden, I realized she didn't get my humor, and we weren't bantering, and she wasn't nice. <laughs> and she, she clamped down on me in an instant and threatened to have me thrown off the plane if I didn't start behaving. And, and all of a sudden, I'm panicked because I'm, I mean, I've read all the stories. You don't mess with that. Uh, I've been on planes where people, you know, whatever. And I was just freaking out. And, and I was smirking. And I'm like, I can't let her see my smirk. And she's watching me. And there's all these Antioch people. But it was, it was a memory. It's a memory. <laughs> it's an Antioch memory. Um, but the reality is it's an interesting thing. Sometimes when God does something, it's, it, it just... It starts and the wave just kind of goes and then it just moves, it just moves on and keeps going. And, and Pete really helped open my eyes to this fascinating thing that what began in Bend, a town of 80,000, um, is actually taken root in Hong Kong, the most densely populated city in the world, with people from 24 different countries of Asia flying in and, and impacting both justice nonprofits and how that goes, but also people's faith, churches, communities. And, and how did something that happened in a town of 80,000 or Bend, Oregon, reach there and, and take root and begin to influence eight, you know, Southeast Asia and, and beyond? And it's this interesting thing. But as I'm sitting there at the Vine, it made me 
really miss the days when, when we got to do all of it. Like it, it made me miss that community part of it. And it made me grateful for this church and the fact that we sacrifice and the fact that we love, the fact that we have good attitudes, um, the fact that my daughters are going to be here in two hours for a symphony, in a Central Oregon Symphony Youth Choir in the building that we use. Um, and we, we use this building because we want to, to make church about community and relationship and good attitudes and service and setting up and tearing down and figuring out how we can all use our gifts and that we don't want to just have 40,000 square foot buildings that sit empty, you know, all week long. Or that our finances would be so geared towards... Uh, kind of what we've created and keeping it up and keeping it looking current and decorations and, and all of that, we really want to be frugal and we want kind of our money to extend. And so, I mean, we talk about it all the time, but every dollar we, we spend meeting here goes right back into the school district. I mean, every dollar. And so I'm just really grateful for this church community and how God has used us to do some crazy things. Kilns College is another one, and we've already got uh, applications for students from Australia, Hong Kong. Uh, there's a cohort that looks like it's birthing in, in uh, Southern California, uh, where we've visited and kind of spent time with a church down there. And so that's this crazy kind of cool thing that gets looped in with it as well. And then the intern ministry with about 20 interns showing up in about two weeks' time, and how that begins to, to change the face of kind of our focus for the summer, and then when those students move back out, how it shapes those churches, those schools, those colleges, those communities that they go to. And again, with people in Antioch serving, hosting them, loving on them, welcoming them, uh, including them alongside in the things that they're doing, no church that I've ever seen utilizes young people as well as Antioch. Um, in terms of being willing to empower. Now, that's a, not a preferential statement about young people versus old people. It's just a statement, hopefully, about philosophy that says we don't want this to be a, a place where a group of professionals hold on to ministry and do all of kind of the priority things or the strategic things or the important things, but a ministry that really is looking at people and saying, you want to help, come along, we'll help coach you into this, we'll actually give you opportunity, and you can take and own ministry yourself. We, we do it with the older generations too, um, but the funny thing is, is the older generations don't need us as much, they just push their way in. Right, Medell? <laughs> like, this is my spot. You can't do this better than I can do this. I can greet people on Sunday morning um, better than anyone else in the Northwest. And so this is my spot. And then what you say politely to things like that is, yes, Medell. Um, you know, so on, on all sorts of levels, it's just amazing to see how things kind of coalesce and come together. And I, I have a, an incredible love, love for this church community. And so when I get to travel to other churches, a couple things happen. One, it's good for me because I'm competitive by nature. I mean, I really am. Um, I'm better than you in a lot of things, and in the things that I'm not, uh, I'm going to find a way to tell myself that they're not that important. Um, <laughs> or I'll make up a, an excuse, these days usually a medical one. Um, <laughs> 
but I'm competitive and I can, I can begin to think that this is, this is the sum total of the kingdom of God. That this is, we are the people of God. We are God's chosen people. And we are. But we're one very, very, very small part of that global body. And it's really good for me to go to other churches and to see in those churches that they have the Medells or the young high school kids who are serving and being, being apprenticed up into different ministries or that they're doing some amazing things incredibly well uh, or that they're living their faith out in their community in ways that, that I or we maybe have never dreamed up of. And uh, so it, it's really a blessing for me when I travel to realize the kingdom is bigger and that we're a part of that. And so I always kind of, the habit is to bring greetings from Antioch and to share a few things about Antioch and what makes us tick and then to just see how that's a part of this kind of, this bigger thing that's going on. Um, so that happens and it's a beautiful thing for me. But I also get reminded of what the eternal things are of the church. You know, when I go to churches, there's a lot I could leave off stylistically. But hospitality, when it happens, is a beautiful thing no matter where it happens. When, when people gather because we all see, recognize, and value and desire kind of um, a church where scripture matters, where the words of God matter, where we're going to submit into that. When, when that, by the way, and I'm not going to use a lot of scripture today, so this one gets a pass on what I'm saying we value. Because I, I don't know, I got time limitations and I'm trying to share my heart. And you guys, anyways, does that make sense? I just, I'm, I don't want you like critiquing me with my own words today. But, but when scripture is there, like, I mean, that's this beautiful universal thing. When, when uh, children and families in this kind of communal um, ethic of church is there, when the sacraments are there, when baptism happens, child dedication, we can sing every week. But these kids that were dedicated today when parents were reading prayers of blessing over them, that's, that's a forever thing. That's a sacrament. It's a beautiful thing that those families will carry as their memory, um, their kind of flag stake in the ground, and that other people were there to share that. That's a beautiful thing. Um, so I see, I begin to kind of resonate with these universal things. And I think there's something universal that Antioch does really well um, and, and possibly better than most churches or parts of the world that I go to. And that's just really um, authenticity. There's really a hunger and a desire for authenticity in this community. And maybe it's a part of Bend as a whole, but that we would just shoot straight that we would wrestle with concepts, that we would want the real thing and not a packaged thing, that we would want to give each other our, our true self, even if it's flawed or messy, not some kind of masked or packaged or stylized self. And there's, there's just an authenticity, and I think there's a humility that comes with the authenticity. There's something beautiful about that part of Antioch that, that is rare and unique and, and I love it and I love it and I think that's one of the reasons why God has and continues to seem to bless our efforts more than maybe what our efforts w would look like they would yield in terms of fruit 
And so I, I want to thank you for you. Um, authenticity is one of those things that it's a communal thing if it actually exists. Um, authenticity doesn't exist in one person or another person. Authenticity is a spirit in the air that everybody kind of feeds on and contributes back into if it's going to be there at all. Does that make sense? Does, authentic, does the word authenticity make sense? Okay. Um, so super fun just for us to kind of go and see how God is using that and being down in Australia and then Hong Kong and then seeing how that's feeding into the college as well as, as different aspects of this community. I loved for you to be able to meet our friends, Jer, Jer, who you heard from two weeks ago, just made an offer on a house in Bend yesterday. And uh, so the fact that they're moving to Bend and going to be a part of this community uh, so that he can manage full-time the nonprofit that he started, um, just a cool blessing. And then last week, our friend Josh Butler from our church, uh, kind of sister church over at Imago Day. And if you don't know it, we're not a part of a denomination but we're a part of kind of an association of like-minded churches that goes by the name Waterhouse. Have no idea what that name means. It's a, it's a different story. Um, do you even know what it means? Um, things get watered. I don't know. I've never heard of a Waterhouse. Uh, maybe we're creating our own name, a group of houses of God that water. So in this Philippians passage, by the way, happy Mother's Day, um, just to, to get that out there. Happy Mother's Day. And uh, so while I was trying to get my mind wrapped around a sermon, uh, a couple in the church really messed with my head. They came in and get this now. It's his birthday and it's Mother's Day. They have four kids. So who wins? Right? And so I actually, this has been in my head bouncing around, and I've really been chewing on it, right? Um, because Mother's Day typically is the day when mom wins every argument, um, just does. But, but does birthday trump Mother's Day? And uh, it's a really fascinating, interesting question. I'm hearing my wife's voice in the back of my head saying that uh, whatever I think the right thing to say is Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but so, yeah, so if you meet this couple, you can, you can encourage them, pray for them um, as they try to wrestle out uh, pole position within their family today um, so that one of them wins. And uh, just so you know, in the Whites, my household, we celebrate half birthdays. Uh, it was a way of just doubling up the amount of cool birthday time we could get from the time our kids could remember birthdays at age six to when, like, it changed at age 16. So you only get like 10 years of really good birthdays. You know what I'm talking about? So we just doubled it up. We do half birthdays. Um, and it, it wasn't until just last year my kids learned that, that Red Robin doesn't celebrate half birthdays. <laughs> and their friends don't celebrate it, but we do. And uh, in case you wanted to know, tomorrow's my half birthday. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so in this passage that we're talking about here, it's literally one of the key texts of the New Testament that gets pulled out for a lot of different things, where Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's actually the title, Fear and Trembling, of, of my, my favorite book by Soren Kierkegaard, 
uh, as a side note. I mean, this is a fascinating passage, which really is about wrestling out our faith. And then it says this fascinating thing, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So this paradoxical passage, uh, you should work this thing out. uh, And then, oh, by the way, because it's God who's doing this, that's going to ultimately serve his own glory and his purpose. This paradoxical passage is used all the way from the Calvinism-Armenianism debate, meaning is it really about God um, moving through us at the beginning of things or is it about us choosing God at the beginning? That kind of debate that's raged for hundreds of years and goes back even further to Augustine and Pelagius. Um, this is kind of like for 2,000 years, this really big debate. What does it look like for discipleship and kind of working things out? What does it mean? I mean, this text is huge and I, I don't even want to talk about it. What I want to talk about is the phrase right below it. That as, as, as whatever this thing is happening, whether it's God in you, through you, you choosing God to help you, whatever that thing is, as that beautiful thing is working itself out, Paul goes on and says, now do everything without complaining or arguing. So here's the ethic of the people of God. That, that they wouldn't be, there wouldn't be friction that would degrade the community, but that overlooking things and allowing the messiness of life to happen and transcending that without complaining or arguing, um, you become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. So you're children in the family of God and here's when you go into that house how his family should act. It it doesn't matter what's happening, what the circumstances are. Those children in God's house, those children get along. Or those children don't make their frustration or their tension or their sense of, of it not being fair the dominant a topic of conversation where they're following around and complaining or whining uh, or kind of arguing. In other words, they're not taking the adult business. And you know what I'm talking about if, if you have kids, right? When adults come over, you're ready for adult time and adult talk and adult business. And they're not taking and distracting from that with what would probably be petty little things that they, as they're maturing, should be able to overlook or to fix themselves. And so as we're maturing as children of God, we're beginning to realize there are bigger things going on in this world, things that God is paying attention to, that God would want us to eventually begin paying attention to, and, and that somehow the little things or where I could complain or argue with somebody else that I'm choosing not to so that that doesn't distract from the bigger thing. That this is what happens in the house of God. This is what it means to kind of grow up into it. And that when that happens, we become somehow pure, meaning whole, or the biblical word would be holy. Holy just simply means set apart and complete and clean. It's, it's pure. And so... We become blameless and pure and we're children of God and we're without fault. And that's in contrast to a crooked and depraved generation. A crooked and depraved generation. So things are bent and they're debased, messy. 
and, and things are not as they ought to be. And so in this era, in this generation as a whole, things are bent, broken, debased, messy, not as they ought to be. And when we become, as all this is working itself out and we mature as kids, we become set apart from that mess. We become not, not tainted by that, so to speak, or its concerns, different. And so when that happens, we are outside of it and able to shine like stars to this generation. Does that make sense? That's, that's what I want to talk about briefly this morning. Is that as I travel, I'm beginning to realize the problems in this world are bigger than the problems I have usually when I wake up in the morning in Bend, Oregon. I'm not an Aboriginal in Australia being forcibly removed from ancient tribal lands. I'm not an Iraqi uh, refugee in Australia in a Christian church, international Christian church, who's having to ask people on a daily basis, would you remember the Iraqi girls that are being held captive by ISIS right now? Would you please pray, please pray, please pray? I, I don't wake up that way. And whatever our political views are on things like Baltimore, we're not waking up in a town that is so broken that it doesn't matter how smart you are trying to navigate a way forward where that community can heal or come together and deep structural things of education and, and other stuff would actually begin to align for flourishing. Like how do you figure that mess out? How do you figure that out? Like it is, it is messier than I would want it to be because when I can distance myself from that, I can make my own little petty messes like the sum total of my, my being for the day. I can stress about or act like all of the world hinges on, on, on this dramatic thing going on in my life. And the reality is I could just as easily take that whole dramatic thing say, you know, it doesn't really matter. My finances, as important as they are and as scary as it feels, how far would I really fall? Would I fall as far as the Syrian refugees? Would I fall as far as the single mom who's trying to, on one hand, raise a family and provide for a family? Would I fall, like... Maybe some of the things that I'm, I'm so stressed about, like the worst case scenario is still a blessing. Even if I had to move in with my parents, I'm not close to that, by the way. Um, my, dad, my dad's a very practical man and he's probably wondering, he's sitting right there, is this like an advance warning, you know? <laughs> It's kind of subtle with sermons sometimes, you know. And uh, If I moved in with my parents, one, that would be an incredible blessing that I have parents in this town that I can move in with, right? But, but even if I moved in with my parents, I still enjoy roads that work, school systems that work, incredible teachers in this school district that actually love and half sometimes parent kids as well as teach kids because they care about kids, and I still live in a town that, that isn't so polluted. If you go to Beijing or Shanghai today, the pollution there 
makes Los Angeles look like, look like you could sell the air. Like just bottle it and sell it. Like here, breathe some cool, refreshing Los Angeles air. It's amazing. Like it is so polluted. Um, the, I mean, I should, I, I guess I could have brought a picture. I still, if I, if I wake up and bend on my bad day, my worst day, like I still have some incredible blessings. If I died tomorrow, I've had a wonderful, wonderful life. God has redeemed me. In the past 20 years of my life, the things I've been able to be a part of or see or experience, the people I've been able to be in relationship with, that's okay. I, I can't complain. And if I begin to grab hold of that, maybe I can come out of this ecosystem of of mess and stress and self-focus and self-pity and and be distinct from that. And in doing so, shine like a star. So here's, I've got 10 minutes to kind of wrap our minds around a concept I want us to grab hold of. There's a thing called social imagination. Social imagination. And a social imagination is actually a limiting thing, right? It's, it's, it's the the ecosystem or the environment in which we're able to imagine, but it bounds our imagination, right? And so wherever you live, whatever that kind of culture or ecosystem is, it kind of it binds your imagination. When you get up in the morning, we think of cereal or eggs or whatever it is, right? If you go to Safeway or Walmart or Fred Meyer or any grocery store typically, they have 80 to 90% of the exact same products in that, that little building. Like our options for food are, are limited based on cultural factors, uh, economic factors, whatever. Those are the products that we choose from. We don't typically think tabbouleh, salami, hummus, like you would if you were in uh, Israel, or we don't think like in Hong Kong, baked beans for breakfast, pork belly, uh, fried hash browns, like deep fried. Like we don't, we don't think of our staples are different than the staples in other places. Does that ma- make sense? We drive on a certain side of the road. Our stoplights look a certain way. We think in terms of 12 years of, of education. Is 12 the perfect number? I have no idea. But that's the number that, that we've been given. And we, our imagination really is, is bounded by that. That's the way we think. We, our TV shows, the, the more important ones, start at 8 o'clock. We have all these reality TV uh, kind of things going on. Like that is the environment or the atmosphere in which we do our, imagina- uh, our imagining. Does that make sense? And it's very hard sometimes to, to not be limited by the, the constraints that, that kind of shape the parameters of where we do all our, our imagining. Our habits, our patterns, our social tendencies, how culture is moving a certain way, the questions, the conversations that are being in front of us that everyone talks about, the things that show up on our news versus someone else's news, those all feed into our system and our imagination interacts with those things and we're bounded by it. Make sense? Okay. It's very hard to transcend that. 
And when you begin to go other places, you begin to realize, wow, um, the world doesn't look, the, the world isn't defined by the way it looks to me normally. The world is actually so much bigger than that. Um, it's one of the reasons we get really dreamy about uh, a Tuscan vacation or Hawaii because the, the visual imagery of like a, a villa in Tuscany or, or going on a beach in Hawaii immediately says, I can somehow transcend my normal life and be someone different, experience something different. So we're, we have a subtle hint we, we listen to that whisper that somehow there are opportunities to like jet set our way outside of this, this ball of unique particularities and, and have a whole different set, if, if even just for a week. And I think sometimes the longing for that becomes so great that we, we, we become obsessed with it. I think because we know that somehow we're being squelched here. Our humanity is being dictated to us and defined by a whole set of things that, that we never spoke into and half of them we don't even understand why they're the way they are. But those are the given constraints. And we long to kind of jump out of that and feel free if only for a week where three of the days we have jet lag, two of the days we travel, one of the days we have food poisoning, right? So we, we, we just long for that. And what I want to say is, I feel like far too often the church, I'm going to just use some Walter Brueggemann language if that's all right. The church is the, can become the instrument of empire. Meaning the church doesn't speak prophetically to that system at all. The church tries to say to you what you'd like to hear as worn down people within that system. Here's a, here's a couple of, principles or, or ideas. Here's a couple ways to maybe navigate the school system or here's a couple ways to, to do some of these things or hey, just add one more thing to your life, a little church program to that set of things and then we become kind of a part of the social kind of imagination. We're doing the exact same kind of things, fitting into the same little time constraints, reading the same kind of books where, I mean, does it strike anyone as odd that all of Christianity around the world, English-speaking Christianity, is singing the same 20 songs from Hillsong? I went to Hillsong and I, I, in Sydney, and I was waiting. And it's nothing against Hillsong. It was actually a beautiful campus, nice people. But I was waiting for like some crazy experience because obviously like the, the Spirit of God, that's like a portal, like a wormhole mixing all my sci-fi categories, but that's okay. Like, because how else would their song be the new song that every community in every culture that speaks English, even, even if it's a second language, should be singing as their new, fresh, articulated song to God? Like, how, how is that, right? I mean, we, we as Christianity begin to be a part of channeling us into these kind of given constraints of here's the things you have to choose from and go live your life well and hopefully you can make it. And we begin to be a bit self-helpish. Wow, that is really messy. Maybe we can help you in with this little mess here. And, and we're, we're navigating this and we're really following behind the mess, trying to be relevant. And I think that's always been the challenge of 
the church. I think even in the Old Testament, there was the challenge of the religious structures. And so every once in a while, God would send a prophet and the prophet would show up and he would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're completely asking the wrong questions. We're completely investing our time in the wrong things. We're, we're, we're reacting, 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 and we're careening out of control, really. And we know the stress of that, but we don't know how to get out of that. And, and we have to call it what it is. The prophet would come say, we need a radical break to try to turn back to what it means to look like if we're, if we're made in the image of God and we're gonna be, become Christ-like. We're gonna become like stars that shine because we're outside, set apart, and so distinctly different than the people that are caught in the mess and don't know another way. Social imagination. So I think what happens with the prophets is they come in and pull people back and say the whole ecosystem, there might be a lot of good, but that's not God's ecosystem. It's the world's ecosystem. Whatever country you're coming from, culture, whatever time period, whatever has kind of globbed on that way, that's, that's this, and we need to stand outside and dream a different dream. And that immediately shuts people down. That's why the prophet was always pushed back out. Some people would listen, but, but culture, community as a whole would push the prophet or the prophetic voice back out. Why? Because life at this age, no matter what age you are, you have a car. It's been built. It is what it is. So just think, ah, sedan. Now you can change a couple parts on it. You can clean it. But if I come to you with a prophetic message and says, why are you driving the sedan? You should be driving an SUV or a hybrid. Or you know what? You should, you should be on a bike a tandem bike with your wife on Mother's Day with flowers. Like that's, that's stressful to you, isn't it? Like, no, what, how, I'm in a sedan. How do I make that fit with my current life? Like that's too radical a departure. I don't even know how to do that. My job is fixed. My relationships are pretty much fixed. Where I live is fixed. My, my uh, constraints, my debt, my whatever it might be, those things are fixed. My age is set. I don't have a lot of room for reinventing myself. Which is, again, by the way, why young people, college age, they have the greatest ability to define or reinvent themselves, which is usually why change movements happen with young people. They're not as bogged down or tied up. But, but when you get beyond that, you feel like, I, I only have this much margin. I can give you Tuesday nights to maybe radically change my, everything about me. I don't even have enough money to go change my wardrobe, Ken. Um, and so we, we get frustrated. We're like, that, that feels stressful. I'm worried about where am I going to take my wife you know, today for Mother's Day because I didn't know until today it was Mother's Day. I'm like behind, you know, like can help me with some of that. Like help, help me with the things that, that get me through the day. Don't, don't come to me with everything should be different. And real quickly, I think everything should be different. There was a movement that began in Italy in the late uh, 80s called Slow Food. 
it was really born in reaction to fast food. The McDonald's-ization, the the takeover of the world by fast food and McDonald's is the symbol for that. How do you say McDonald's is, anyways, I'm not, nobody's helping me. McDonaldization of the world, right? There you go. But so, really, slow food was, was about picking your produce yourself, like at a local market from local grocers uh, or farmers that are coming to these farmers markets and taking and actually taking the time to prepare that food. And why? Is it because you're a foodie and somehow like there's some, it makes you a cooler hipster? No. Like the whole slow food thing was to, to reconnect you with the earth. We're made from dust, people. We're of the earth. The earth was the thing that was put here that is our foundation. We're, we're in a relationship or should be with the earth. And, and slow food was to slow down and reconnect that way, reconnect with our bodies that somehow we're in this relationship with our food and, and that makes a difference. And that somehow the preparation of food and the eating of food or the table has for, for most of human history been where community happens and culture is, is created and conversations take place so that when we get to the end of our life, we don't go, wow, I ran a really fast race alone. There, there were people around me, everywhere around me, but I never really built kinship or family with those people. And the slow food movement went into other movements, slow parenting, there's uh, slow reading, there are slow kind of school, not, not uh, that sounds wrong, there, like education has components that way. And, uh, and so the slow kind of thing worldwide is this subversive deal going on as everything's getting faster and more disconnected from the earth or from people or from community. There's even a slow church movement out there. And I'm just here to say, I don't have all the answers. Pete and Kip are working on some amazing things for small group in the fall. Jarrell and we've been for the past number of weeks reinventing youth ministries so that high school is no longer about sit and listen to this moralistic sermon and, and the whole time you want to rebel because you are an adult in training from the age of accountability up and you want to, to be passionate about something and to own something and to do something. So our whole high school ministry is being retooled to be about empowerment and equipping and nurture and discipleship where we actually see the value and the giftedness of these high school students and involve them in the conversation. It's a beautiful thing. What's going on with children's ministry and even trying to work with the, the families and some of these kids and, and what's happening that way. Can we slow it down? Can we be more intentional? Can we understand why we're doing what we're doing and not just be reacting like herd animals? I don't wanna be a herd animal. By the way, the other place you see it is on playgrounds. You ever see like first graders? They don't know why they're running that way. Like some kid just started running and it's like everyone takes off running. And you know what I'm saying? I, I wanna think more than that. There's a book by Neil Postman a number of years back called Amusing Ourselves to Death. 
Do you know what the root word of amusement is? The root of, of the word amusement is not thinking. And it might not be where you're at. This might not even be the church for you. But in our authenticity, there's a necessary component for me as a pastor here to say, I want to think. I want to listen to prophetic voices. I want to be shaped by them. I want to have to rethink my life even when I'm supposed to be the guy that's got it all figured out so that I can tell everyone else how to, how to do it perfectly, which begins to, by the way, eventually make me hide all of the messy parts of my life. Now, I've learned there's so many messy parts, it's just a lot easier to put them out there. Um, I want to I wanna think. I want my social imagination to be stretched. I want this community to begin to dream bigger dreams, to sing better songs, to envision what it could look like if in our connection with the earth, who we were made to be, how God wants us to live, how we can go deeper in love and hospitality with one another, how the grace begins to move in that as we're discipled to the glory of God, that, that we really are shining. I, I want to know what that feels like. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not the one that's modeling all this, but I'm... If, if all my job is, is to teach every week helpful principles to, to help us navigate the bounded set that we live in, like I'm gonna get bored very quick. I got bored just saying it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about the seasons coming up at Antioch. I'm excited about the people that are here, not just on stage, but out here. I'm excited for the leadership in this church. I'm excited for women to feel empowered in this church. I'm excited for this place to break stereotypes. That there's a, a quality, that this truly is community. That gifts work themselves around in this place so that if you take yourself out, it feels like, wow, I just lost my lifeblood or my nurture or the thing that really gave me the ability to be my best self. I have to go back to that community. Can you dream that dream with me? That's, I, I, I want to I have those conversations. May our social imagination increase. Ephesians says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine, to him be the glory for, for now and forever, right? May we let God speak into our imagination that we might be able to dream those dreams, live a different kind of life, and know the joy that he created us to know. Amen. Thank you.